If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the Gospel of Mark this morning. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, the Red Bible in front of you, it's page 853 this morning. 853. If you had a choice, if you had to choose this morning, which one of these options would you choose? Christmas or Easter? If you had to choose, right, which one of those holidays would win out for you? Christmas or Easter? Well, okay, if you're here on Easter morning, you're going to feel a little bit of guilt and probably say, well, because I have to. i got to say Easter. Well, if you didn't have to choose one just because you felt like you had to, which one would you choose? I guarantee you that all of the children in here would choose the fat man in the red suit, right? That's the one you would pick because of all the presents. Now, the Easter Bunny brings you some presents, but nothing really compares to the presents you get from Santa Claus. Christmas gets top billing. And even in the church, oftentimes, Christmas gets top billing because, I mean, it's just so much fun. It's just, it's just a blast to, to celebrate what Christmas means, that God came into the world, that he moved into our neighborhood, and he decided to live next to us. That, that's a fun thing to celebrate But the problem is, if you only have the message of Christmas without the message of Easter, then actually Christmas is not good news. There is no good news in Christmas without the the message of Easter because at Christmas time, God comes to live in his holiness, in his goodness, in his rightness with sinful human beings. And if it were not for Easter, the sacrifice of atonement and the resurrection from the dead, then all you and I would have at Christmas time is judgment. But because of Easter, we get to truly celebrate. We get to truly celebrate that God has not just come and lived with us, but he has accomplished a salvation for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves. No longer are we enemies with God, but we are at peace with God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to read this uh, to you. We're going to start at uh, Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 42. Uh, I'm going to cover a little bit of the death and burial of Jesus before we jump into the resurrection. Uh, And I want to remind you that Mark is writing this gospel account to teach people who are undergoing persecution and suffering, who are being killed for the sake of the resurrection. He's teaching them how to have courage in the midst of that suffering. This is God's good and kind word for you this morning. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to to Joseph. 
And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our good and gracious Father, we thank you for giving us this word. We thank you for the amazing message that it is. That you have overcome even death itself. Father, we pray that you would help us to apply these things to our hearts that we might better understand the gospel of your grace. Pray that we would have Jesus as the only priority in our life. That we would desire him over all things because of his greatness and his majesty. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I want to look at this passage in three ways this morning. Very easily, we're going to see it in this way. Jesus died, okay? Jesus died. Secondly, Jesus rose. And then thirdly, Jesus sins. So first of all, Jesus died. Now, why do I even have to say that? Why, does it, why do we have to say that Jesus actually died? Um, if you remember a few moments ago, whenever we were reciting the Apostles' Creed, one of the things that the, the creed... Uh, that we know came from very early on in the church. We have uh, various forms of that creed. Very early on in the history of the church, they made it a point to say, Jesus died. Well, if Jesus was a man, do we really need to say that Jesus died? Isn't Isn't it just obvious? Don't all of us just die? Why did the early church have to say, over and over and over, not just in that creed, but in every creed, that Jesus actually died. Well, very few people today believe, uh, or there are very few, let me say it this way. Most everyone today, scholars and normal people like us alike, believe that Jesus was an actual historical person. Okay, Most everyone believes that. Even scholars who do not believe and the, the essential message of Christianity believed that Jesus was an actual historical person. Now, about 10 years ago, there was a group of people uh, called the Jesus Project, a, a bunch of scholars that got together, uh, and they began to study you know, whether or not Jesus was historical or not, whether he was a real person. Uh, every 50 or 60 years or so, uh, 
for really the last 300 years, a group like this sprouts up and they, they say, we're going to study the historical evidence. And lo and behold, every 50 or 60 years, they come up with the same exact evidence that the people before them came. And they said, we can't find any evidence that Jesus was a real person. And they say, but, th- but, but don't be worried about that because even though Jesus wasn't a real person, it, it doesn't matter that he really died or that he really rose. None of that matters. It's what you feel about it that really matters. Well, let me just encourage you this morning and let you know that we have plenty of historical evidence that proves that Jesus was an actual real life person that lived in space, in time. He did live. Now, We have the gospel messages. We have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are historical. We can trace them all the way back to within one generation of when Jesus lived. And they give a historical account. Now, scholars will say, well, we can't trust them because they were biased. Well, guess what? Those historians that say that are biased too, but let's get beyond that. Um, but, but we have historical evidence that he, that he lived. And as, as a matter of fact, we have outside biblical evidence that Jesus lived. Um, from people that weren't Christians, from people that hated Christians. They say, yes, Jesus was a real person. And Jesus died. And we have in Mark's account here, uh, uh, really the detail of what happens around that time. Uh, just look at the detail of this. You get names that are mentioned here. The first name is Joseph of Arimathea. He was a respected Jewish man at the time that that had a a lot of clout with all of the Jewish people. Um, And he risked a lot by asking for the body of Jesus. Um, What did he risk? Well, first of all, he he needs to have the courage to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Um, Why is that important? Well, because... All of his Jewish colleagues and all the people that were as wealthy as he was would have looked at him and said, if you follow that man, if you think anything of him, you're going to lose your status. Joseph of Arimathea was going to lose his status in the Jewish council, probably all of his business contacts, probably everything that, that belonged to him because he was following Jesus by or, or asking for the body there. He, he was going to lose that. And, and we know that pretty soon after this, that the Jewish leaders were going to kill or, or seek to kill many Christians. So he was even putting his body at risk, his life at risk, by asking for the body of Jesus. Uh, but look, we also have, so, so let me just say, we have a Jewish, uh, a group of Jewish men that recognize that Jesus died. But secondly, look at verse 44. We see that Pilate and also a centurion, we have Roman witness, a Roman witness to the death of Jesus Um, Joseph asked for the body. He was probably there watching Jesus. He saw his spear go into Jesus. And then after that, he goes to Pilate. He asks for the body. And then Pilate is surprised that Jesus is dead. Let me just say that that's an indication of something here. Because Romans put a high priority and a high value on strength. And the better a man you were, the longer it would take for something to kill you. And so Pilate says here, he, he hears that Jesus is dead, and it's only been a few hours, and he's going, man, what a weak guy. And all of these people were following him as their savior, as their leader, and he can't believe it that a man would die that quickly. So why would anybody make that up? Why would anybody make up a story about a weak leader? 
That's one of the things that proves the validity of this. No one would make this story up. Because no one would want to be looked down upon by the ruling authorities of the day. But here it is. Pilate is surprised to hear that he's dead. And then you have the the execution expert, the death expert that comes in. The centurion who probably had a lot of blood on his hands from a lot of different people that he had killed. He knew what death looked like. And he says, no, he's dead. He's really dead. Okay. There's no doubt that Jesus is dead there. But then we also have a third witness, a third group of witnesses, and that's uh, the women that go to the tomb. Mary Magdalene uh, and Mary, the mother of Jose, or Jose, however you want to say that. Um, And so you have these two Marys. And then we know from the other gospel accounts that it wasn't only them, but it was other uh, women that went to the tomb to... Uh, that saw that Jesus had had died. So we have this account that, that... These women recognized that Jesus was dead. Now, that just goes to show, once again, that Jesus actually died. And here are three reasons why that's important. And I'll do this very quickly. Three reasons. If Jesus didn't actually die, uh, then he can't fully understand what it means uh, for us to be human. He can't fully understand what it means for us to be uh, humiliated in death the way that we are. You know what happens when you die. You lose your bodily functions. You have no control over your life. The last and final humiliation of humanity is death. And if Jesus didn't really die, then he doesn't understand what it means to be fully human and to be fully humiliated. But Jesus did die, so he understands that. Secondly, if Jesus didn't die, then he could not be raised. This should be one of those obvious things, but it needs to be said. If Jesus didn't die, then the resurrection didn't happen. And if the resurrection didn't happen, according to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, then, or 1 Corinthians, then we are fools for even being here this morning. Then there's no point to being a Christian. If Jesus did not die and was not raised from the dead, why are you here? Go, leave. Live your life however you want to because there is no God. But Jesus did die and he did raise from the dead. And here's what that means. He has conquered death for you. And if you believe in him, then he is your king and you must listen to him. Thirdly, if Jesus didn't die, then he couldn't have made a payment for our sin. And we are still in sin and we have no peace with God. If Jesus didn't die, then, then there was no atonement. Then he was not the perfect sacrifice. Then you still have something to prove to God. And as soon as you leave here today, you better keep on doing the very best you can. Because the only hope you have that a holy and righteous God is going to maybe accept the, the little piddly work that you do. And maybe he'll just be like a, a, a grandfather that just forgets all of your faults. But he won't be. The good news is that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And if you have faith in his finished work, then you have peace with God. You have rest from your sin. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free from all of the things that the world says you need. You don't have to be pretty. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be... Good all of the time. You can admit your faults. 
you can admit that you are a huge screw-up. And you can ask for forgiveness whenever you do. That's the implication of Jesus dying. Secondly, in verses 1 through 6, we see that Jesus rose. And of course, this is uh, the Sunday morning. Uh, and it's the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene and Mary, uh, they, go, they go to the tomb with their spices. Well, most modern people, this is the part of the Easter story that most modern people that aren't Christians, but even some that are, they reject. There was a, an article that came out this week from the UK um, that said that 25% of the Christians in the UK... In the United Kingdom, 25% do not believe in the resurrection. So you're talking about people who self-consciously call themselves Christians and then say, no, we don't really believe in in the resurrection. In the same story, this is even more interesting. 10% of non-religious people say they do believe in the resurrection. So 25% say they don't believe it. 25% of the Christians don't believe it. But 10% of the people that aren't even religious say, oh yeah, the resurrection happened. What kind of cognitive, cognitive dissonance is that? Where you just can't put it, like, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you need to listen to him. But 10% say, ah, that's all right. I, I won't really listen to that now. But... But what's interesting is that, um, and in this article, the, the, the man that wrote this article, that he was talking to those 25%, and he was just reminding them, he said, look, if you're a Christian and you don't believe in the resurrection, you are a fool. And that's not him saying that. That's the Apostle Paul that says that. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you are to be pitied above everyone else because you, you're hoping in something that didn't really happen. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no point in believing any of this. But Jesus did rise from the dead, and we have lots of historical evidence that he did rise from the dead. Um, And one of the things that points to the validity of this story that Jesus actually rose from the dead is what I talked about in the children's sermon. You read this, and Jesus said on at least three occasions, now, Probably, if the gospel writers record three occasions where he said, I'm going to be delivered over to the Romans, they're going to crucify me, but three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. If he said it at least three times in that way in the gospel accounts, you know he said it over and over and over again. And the disciples every time probably were like, no, we're not, we're not going to listen. We're just not going to hear it. And the proof that Jesus actually did rise from the dead is the fact that no one was there to see it. Um, about three years ago, two years ago now maybe, President Obama was coming to Baton Rouge. Some of you maybe remember this because uh, I know Mike remembers this for sure. He was probably on duty then. But just, the, just that the president was coming to Baton Rouge, Amy and I had to go to Baton Rouge and we were driving down Plank Road and we passed the airport and for miles and miles and miles... Just because the news reporter said that President Obama was coming, people were lined up down Plank Road to see the president, but not to shake his hand, to see him from hundreds, maybe thousands of yards away, and maybe not even to see him descending from Air Force One, but just to get a glimpse of his security team. People heard that, and they went and saw it, but no one was there to see the resurrection of Jesus. 
Jesus rose and the disciples didn't believe it. They weren't there. It was only later that they heard about it and they saw Jesus and they said, wait, we could have seen this amazing thing, but no one was there. Not even the women that went to to prepare Jesus for his burial. They didn't believe it. How do we know that they didn't believe in the resurrection? Because they were worried about the burial spices and the stone that had to be removed. Look at the, look at the historical detail of this as well. Um, verse 3, they were saying to one another, uh, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Um, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted an incredible interview from a guy that has studied uh, the city of Jerusalem around this time. And he, uh, he says... They found four stones that are like this one, four stones. Uh, And they are literally the weight uh, that only 20 men can roll back and forth. And and if you go to my Facebook account, you can look it up and look at this interview. But otherwise, just type in uh, what did did Golgotha look like when Jesus – you can type that into Google and it will come up. This incredible interview that talks about the fact that these tombs were there, that, that only very wealthy men had tombs like this. That, that 20 people were going to be required to roll away the, the stone and the women just were hoping that somehow they could go and prepare the, the body because they weren't going to be able to roll away the stone. And then look at verse 4. And looking up. We just kind of gloss over that detail, but, but you notice they looked up. Why? Why are we told they looked up? Only an eyewitness account could give you that kind of language. They looked up, and what did they see? They saw that the tomb or the stone was rolled away because of where they were walking from. They had to walk up to the tomb, and they looked up, and they saw that the stone was rolled away. The little historical detail that tells you this is an eyewitness account. Who, who reported this to Mark? Well, probably the two Marys. That's why he gives their names. He says they reported that, that they saw these things happen, and if you want to check it out, at the time this was written, they were still alive. You could go ask them about these things. So you see that. You see the, the detail of the tomb. And then you also see that, that they were afraid because they look up and they see that there is a young man, a young man in the tomb. What is that all about? What did they see? Um, pretty soon after the gospel accounts were written, uh, there were, well, I say pretty soon, about 200 years afterwards, there were these books that came out called the Gnostic Gospels. And all of the Gnostic Gospels, uh, they were trying to drag people away from Christianity, but they mixed just enough Christianity with Greek philosophy, and they were trying to confuse people. And all of those accounts, they have accounts also of, uh, of the resurrection. And in those accounts, they are incredible accounts. And one of them, uh, I think it's the Gospel of Peter, But in one of them, they have angels, and everyone in all of Jerusalem sees these angels, and they're so massive that their heads are covered by the clouds. That's the kind of fanciful things that you get in the reporting in false gospel accounts, because what they want you to do is to really read them. In this account, it's fairly boring, isn't it? They go to the tomb. It's empty. There's a young man in there, and he says, he's not here. He's risen. And then they run away scared. The details just... It's a pretty boring account, and that lends itself to the credibility of these things, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now, here are some implications of this. Because Jesus lives. You know that, that, uh, that famous Gaither song, Because He Lives, right? You know it. We were going to sing it here today, but our hymnal doesn't have it, so I'm sorry. Um, go home and listen to it with your families, Because He Lives. 
Here are the implications because Jesus lives. Here's what we learn. God is faithful. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that God the Father planned the redemption of his people. When? Before the foundations of the world. God the Father planned the redemption of his people. God the Son is the one that was to accomplish the redemption of the people. And God the Holy Spirit applied the redemption to his people. And what do we learn? That from the foundation of the world, God planned something and it happened. God is faithful to his people. And here's what we know, that God loves his people. Because he accomplished it, God finished it, and he's faithful and he loves. Secondly, um, I've used this before um, about a year ago, but I'm going to use it again. Uh, the first of the the first Star Wars that came out, the, the most recent of the the first of the most recent Star Wars. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's the one where they're just rediscovering all the Jedi stuff and all that. And and Han Solo looks at the two new young young kids that are just learning about all this. And, and the great Han Solo, Harrison Ford, he looks and he says, "Yeah, I saw all of it." And all of the Jedi stuff, it's all true, all of it. And it's a poignant moment in the movie because you're like, it's all true. But the Jedis aren't true. There's none of that that's true. It's George Lucas. He made it all up. And it's good storytelling, but it's not true. But this is true. Jesus rose from the dead. He overcame death. It's true. It's not just a myth. It's not just a good story. It actually happened. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then every single one of every single moment of your life is filled with meaning and purpose. Understand this that if if Jesus rose from the dead, all of your suffering matters. All of it matters. Because God has brought something into your life that he wants you to learn. All of the things that you struggle with is for a great purpose. How do you know? Because he rose. All of your tears have eternal value. Every time you cry because of some hurt, it's, it means something. And it has eternal value because God, your father, knows your tears. He experienced them through his son. And he knows what you go through. They have eternal value. It means that not one of your mistakes defines who you are. Not one of the things that you do. Not one of your major sins defines who you are. Adulterer, if you have faith in Jesus, that doesn't define who you are. Terrible mother doesn't define who you are. Lousy father, I'm looking at the scrogs here. Lousy father, it doesn't define who you are. The only thing that defines who you are in Christ Jesus is that he rose from the dead and overcame all of that. And he gives you new life. In the eyes of God, you are victorious. And it doesn't matter what anybody in this world says about you. Because of what God says. You have overcome through my son, Jesus Christ. 
The last thing that we see is that there's a calling to Christians to go out and to, and to share this message. Jesus sends in verses 7 and 8. Uh, this is on the lips of the angel. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, that massive failure, Peter, go tell him that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as you told. The angel doesn't say, by the way, go tell Peter that Jesus is coming to get him. It doesn't happen like that. Jesus doesn't say, meet me outside at noon or anything like that. It's not the okay corral and, and all that. Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you, and I'll see you just as I said I would. And because of that, he, the angel here says, go tell Go tell the disciples what happened. Um, and there's an interesting little thing here. The, the word tell that happens there, it's, it's, in the, it's in the Greek. It's a weird construction in the Greek. It's the aorist imperfect. Um, that probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it, it's a command that's given. That means you have to do it. You don't have the option to not do it. And I find that interesting that the angel says, go and tell the disciples. You have to tell them. It's got the weight of authority. And to these women, you are required to tell it. And, and that has some application for us as well. If you have experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you have seen it, if you have been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are required to tell others about it. You are required to live your life in light of the resurrection and to have your light say to everyone out there, you have overcome the world through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Suffering and death, if you, if you see suffering in your life or another, but in somebody else's life, that's the perfect time to remind them that Jesus has overcome the world. We are to talk about the resurrection. We are to be people of the resurrection. We're to live in the light of the resurrection. Everything that we do as God's people is to be focused on the fact that he has overcome. And that means that when we squabble and fight with each other, we need to remember that Jesus overcame death and sin so that we can get over our little personal things that we take so seriously. Uh, it allows us to be loving husbands and loving wives and loving brothers and sisters. It allows us to care uh, for each other. Jesus sends us as well into the world. And in a moment, you're going to go home with your family. You're going to go home with your friends. You're going you're to have an opportunity to talk about something. Why not talk about the resurrection? Notice this. Um, most people think, and I think, that Mark ends at verse 8. And, and if you're reading your Bible, you probably have a note that indicates that. Um, and it says that, that probably much later on, the rest of Mark was added on to it. And they have it there for you to read it. But I think that Mark ends at verse 8. Let me read that to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid. They were astonished. They were terrified because of what they saw. And they didn't tell anyone. <laughs> they just were commanded to tell, but here we're told that they didn't tell. I think that's a calling to us. And Mark is ending his gospel account by saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you going to live in fear or are you going to go and tell others about it? Will you be afraid or will you be obedient? And remember, 
This is written to people who are being killed for the sake of Christ. What a poignant way to end this gospel message. Will you tell the Romans that are killing you about Jesus? Or will you be afraid? Let me just challenge you. Will you tell your family who are dead and dying of the resurrection? Will you tell your friends, your co-workers of the hope that you have in Jesus? Or will you be afraid? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message this morning. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us. We thank you for the overcoming power that the resurrection is for us, that because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow and today and everything in between. We thank you that suffering has meaning. We thank you that our tears have eternal value. We thank you that you love us, that you are faithful to all of your promises, and we can leave here confidently knowing that we are yours because he lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.